Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Langer and Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, returning from a one-podcast hiatus, joining, as always, Josh Dooley. Josh, I missed you this Sunday. I had to go watch the Giants win their only uh, home game, I think, ever. Um, and now I'm back, and I'm ready to talk more Buckeyes. I'm sad I missed a, uh, you know some of the recap of that, that very fun Indiana game, but we're back. Yeah, good to have you back, Gene. And uh, the funny thing is you said you had to go and watch the Giants, which I think is an accurate description. Uh, But hopefully you had some fun there. And um, let's talk some Penn State football and some Ohio State football. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, I'm in. It was a legal obligation to go watch the Giants in New Jersey. Uh, I I, I found myself with some last-minute tickets, decided to go. Hadn't been to MetLife in quite a long time. It was good to to get back out there, see some professional football. But, you know, at the end of the day, not as fun as college football. I did enjoy watching the Buckeyes on Saturday absolutely dominate Indiana 54-7. to And I know you and Meredith talked this weekend. I'm sure you guys did a great job on the recap pod. I just wanted to give some of my final thoughts on that game before we move ahead. This is obviously the Penn State preview this week, but we do want to talk a little bit a little bit more on Ohio State-Indiana in the past, and then we'll move forward with the Penn State game, which has lost a little bit of its luster thanks to Penn State losing in a million overtimes to Illinois. But nonetheless... We're here. We're talking Ohio State. Uh, Josh and I wrote a little bit of a fun column. Uh, we're recording this on Monday. We wrote a fun column today on your nuts talking about uh, the potential for Ohio State records to be broken this season and probably in the near future between uh, Travion Henderson and Chris Olave, two guys who both scored touchdowns in this football game. Uh, Travion Henderson, uh, I don't know what to say about this kid anymore other than like every time I think I've like, you know, I've seen it all. And like, I think this kid, you know, he's doing all he could do. He just he comes out and impresses every single time. And it's turning into a thing where like this this guy is like he he has a chance to be, you know, in a, in a school that has a history of tradition and of these powerful running backs and these really professional like professional level running backs and just the, the type of records they've had in that room. Uh, Trayvon Henderson is like seven games into his Ohio State career, not even as the full-time starter, and he's looking like he has a chance to be one of the best in program history. And I know that's crazy to say for a freshman, but every time he touches the ball, it feels like he has a chance to score. He just feels like a different kind of player out there every time he has the ball in his hands. It's just, it's a crazy feeling. It's crazy to watch, and I just, I don't have words for how good he is. And just watching him against Indiana, he only had nine carries for 81 yards, and then he had the uh, the reception for 14 yards, and he wound up, you know, in those 10 touches, he scored three touchdowns, which is just insane. And I know Indiana's defense is pretty beat up and everything, but 
the way this Ohio State offense is rolling right now, the way that Travion Henderson has looked, the way that these wide receivers are looking, um, Ohio State has the number one offense in the country right now, and it certainly looks like it. And it's just watching this team move this ball it has been really impressive to me. And I know that you know a lot of their issues early on in the season were the defense, but even the offense has gotten so much better from what it was early in the year, and it was already good. I mean, coming into that Indiana game, I think going into the third quarter, Ohio State was on a stretch where it had scored touchdowns on 19 consecutive drives. Like that is, I don't care who you're playing, scoring 19 straight touchdowns is like unheard of. And that's just an impressive feat. This offense is rolling. It's firing on all cylinders. Uh, A fun fact, Ohio State scored more touchdowns on that 19 drive stretch than Clemson has all season long. So that's just a funny little tidbit there. But yeah, I mean, this the way this offense looks right now, I'm very confident in this Ohio State team moving forward. Um, I don't even think the defense has to be that good when this offense is this good. And so it's really nice to see, you know, C.J. Stroud obviously is playing out of his mind right now. I think the confidence is through the roof. He just looks like a completely different player than the guy we saw earlier in the year. We see him making these throws. And even, you know, the decisions he's making, while, you know, maybe some of them aren't the best decisions, he's he feels comfortable making any throw. And that's good to see. You know, he's not scared to, to throw over the middle. We saw that impressive throw to Jackson Smith and Jigba over the middle through three defenders on a dime. So these are throws he wouldn't, wasn't making earlier in the year and, like, decisions he wasn't, like, trying to force – and it's, it's good to see that he has the confidence to do anything out there. He's been really good at extending plays and moving around in the pocket. And I really liked what I've seen from Stroud. And then, you know, defensively, they've continued to do their jobs. I don't think Indiana's offense posed that much of a threat considering they were playing like five different quarterbacks out there. But, you know, it's good to see that the defense after that first drive, I think they allowed like 50 total yards from there on out the rest of the game. So, you know, everything is, is looking good right now for Ohio State. And I don't know how much we learned against that Indiana team that was really beat up. But overall, I don't see how you can leave that game without anything but being impressed and like confident in the way this team is moving and, you know, confident in moving forward that they'll continue to improve each week. Yeah, taking it back to the Indiana game, Meredith and I t- uh, talked about it a lot, obviously, but just some of the the main points there. C.J. Stroud, you think about Tulsa game to now, it, it's really night and day. His confidence is through the roof. Ryan Day has talked about that. He's grown as a leader. And I thought it was really cool that C.J. Stroud mentioned his teammates kind of um, you know, gathering around him and boosting him up. He said that he had been a little down in the dumps after some early season struggles and some miscues. So good to see there. He's flying high. And Trayvon Henderson, the first guy you brought up, um, three touches or three touchdowns on 10 touches. You extrapolate that out over the season. He's scoring once about every six times he touches the ball. And that's just a home run threat. That's the definition of it. And I think the good thing with him is Ohio State has been able to sort of put him in bubble wrap at certain points during certain games, he doesn't have to tote the rock 20, 25, 30 times a game. But I think that because he has been protected a little bit, I think that if they need to call his number that many times, I think he's more than capable of doing that. And they really haven't needed to focus or needed to feature him in the passing game, but we've seen his receiving skills as well. We know that if need be, he can probably pull in three, four, five receptions a game. So I'm with you. The offense is humming right now. Indiana was beat up, but when you think about that Indiana team, uh, the front four is not bad. They've got some guys up there, Ryder Anderson, and they've got no, or I'm sorry, Micah McFadden at linebacker. If any unit was going to play strong against Ohio State, it would have been that front six because they run the four, two, five, and 
they just had no answers. Um, even a guy like Micah McFadden, who I wrote about last week, who I think is one of the better linebackers in the country. Kudos to him. He played his tail off. He was playing well into the fourth quarter in a game that they were losing by a billion. So I think that says a lot to kind of his character and his competitiveness, but they had no answer. They were outgunned and their offense obviously couldn't stay on the field. They're missing a lot of guys, namely their quarterback. They rotated a bunch of guys in there, couldn't run the ball, couldn't throw the ball, which surprised me a little bit just based on what Ty Ty Freifogel did to Ohio State last year. And they tried to feature Peyton Hendershot. That worked really well for one series. And then he was sort of ghosted for the rest of the game. It was a bit of a monsoon. Uh, The weather was pretty terrible. But again, that speaks to Ohio State's offense. They can score uh, no matter the conditions. So I think that speaks well moving forward. It's going to get a little bit colder. The weather might be a little more adverse. So they're rocking and rolling on both sides of the ball right now. And I think that's going to continue on this week. Yeah, and, and what, my last point I really want to make about the Indiana game before we move on and just kind of about the season to this point in general is is how much of an unsung hero Jackson Smith and Jigba has been to this offense and this team. At, at this point in the season, Jackson Smith and Jigba actually has more receiving yards than Chris Olave on the year. He's got 551, Olave has 518, and Garrett Wilson leads the team with 605. And I just, I've just been really impressed with how much how good this kid has been and how much he's come on. You know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about the the Jamison Williams transfer to Alabama, but I think it's very clear why Jamison Williams transferred, and it's because Jackson Smith and Jigba is so good, and he is so obviously deserving of that number three spot on this passing offense. I think you know Smith and Jigba would probably be the top wide receiver at pretty much any other school in the country with how good he's played, and. I've just been really impressed. You know, he reminds me a lot of a KJ Hill type of player where he's just that dependable slot receiver. He's, he seems to always be open over the middle of the field. He he catches everything that's thrown his way. So it's been really nice to see. And I think it's been really good. And it's made Ohio State's offense more efficient to have three guys they could depend on in any situation. And, you know, we saw a lot with Justin Fields last year and the year before that it was really, you know, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson got all the targets and then everyone else was just kind of there. And now this year, all th- all three of their wide receivers, Wilson, Smith, and Jigba, and Olave, are pretty even when it comes to receptions. Uh, Garrett Wilson leads the team with 36, Olave second with 32, and then Smith and Jigba right behind him with 29. So it truly is a three-headed monster out there of wide receivers. And, you know, even though Olave and Wilson get a lot of the credit, especially on the national scale, Smith and Jigba deserves a ton, too, for how well he's played. And it makes this offense so much better to have another option that's that reliable. And we also saw Jeremy Rucker get involved against Indiana with his two touchdowns. So that's four targets on the field that you could depend on in pretty much any situation, which just makes C.J. Stroud's job even easier. And so, you know, this this passing offense, I don't really see how you stop at this point. Even if you have, you know, a top lockdown corner, there's like three or four other guys now that you got to worry about, including Travion Henderson out of the backfield. And it just makes it makes life so hard for opposing defenses because you just there's nothing you could really do. Like the opposing defensive lines aren't getting a ton of pressure against this Ohio State offensive line. And if you send a blitz, now you're taking even extra guys out of coverage against a team that has so many weapons to throw the ball to. And it's just it makes it nearly impossible to stop. And it's really good to see that all these guys are clicking at once. And I've just, you know, I've been impressed with Jack Smith and Jigba, especially, and I feel like he deserves a lot of credit that, you know, he probably wasn't getting early in the season because everybody's thinking of Olave and Wilson, but he's been a, a very big and important part of this offense. Yeah, he is the ultimate luxury. And I brought up Jeremy Ruckert as a luxury too. You know, Jackson Smith and Jigba is capable and he may very well end up as a thousand yard wide receiver this year. And Jeremy Ruckert is sort of an unsung hero. He has greatly improved his blocking, uh, especially on some of his 
uh, like the sweeps where he sort of pulls around or he has to kick out. Um, he's gotten really, really good at that. And then when you need to call his number, when you need to dial it up, he's capable of five, five catches and two touchdowns like we saw against Indiana. So those guys both are sort of a package deal, the ultimate luxury. And you brought up the three receivers and the tight end, and, and this kind of came to mind. How would you compare 2019 LSU to 2021 Ohio State? You know, LSU had Jefferson Chase and Terrace Marshall at wide receiver, and then Thaddeus Moss, who was one of Joe Burrow's main targets there. I, I think they're very similar in that sense. How would you compare those two units from um, Burroughs team versus this year's 20, uh, this year's Ohio State's team? Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good comparison. I think they are very comparable. And obviously, you know, Thaddeus Moss is more of a, a receiver than Jeremy Ruckert is, even though Jeremy Ruckert does so much else to help the offense. But yeah, you know, there's three dynamic wide receivers. You have a quarterback that's capable of getting them the ball and pretty much, you know, he could throw deep, he could throw medium, he's keeping plays alive. You know, neither neither Burrow nor Stroud were big runners, but are capable of doing it when called upon. And then you have, you know, LSU had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who who could receive the ball a little bit out of the backfield and was a very solid runner. You know, Travion Henderson, I think, is probably a better back than him as just a runner, but they're both very good at receiving as well. And so, yeah, I think that is a, a good comparison, and we know how LSU season ended that year, so hopefully Ohio State sees a similar fate, but I do like that because, you know, that, that Joe Brady offense was probably more pass-heavy than Ohio State is. But, you know, with, with the balance that Ohio State has and the players they have, it, it's a very, you know, it's a very similar high-powered offense. And when you just have that many weapons, it's so hard to stop even for the best defenses in the country. So I'm really hoping, you know, speaking of good defenses, I'm really hoping that you know, no matter how the, the playoff breaks, I'm hoping that we get to see Ohio State play a team like Georgia because I think that would be a really, really fun matchup and just the nation's biggest strength on the nation's biggest strength there with probably the two best units in all of college football there on either side of the ball. So I'm hoping we, we need get to start see- a... We need to start a petition that if those two teams don't end up playing in a CFP or in the championship game, we just want to see it after the season. I think we'd get thousands upon thousands of signatures to where if those two teams don't play, let's add another game just for uh, you know what's in giggles and see see how those two teams match up. Yeah, and I have no interest in seeing like Ohio State's defense play Georgia's offense because I think both of those units are, you know, average at best probably. But I just want, you know, just keep putting Ohio State's offense against Georgia's defense out there and just like have that go back and forth the whole time and just see what happens, you know, have some fun with it. But yeah, uh, you know, that's it's it's been a lot of fun to watch this Ohio State offense. The defense continues to improve each week. And now, you know, coming up into a big stretch where Ohio State's going to play a bunch of ranked teams, you know, it's it's it really couldn't be better. We don't have many. You know, coming into the last couple of weeks, we've had some injury bugs and all that stuff. It seems like, you know, coming into this week, Ohio State is mostly healthy. You know, obviously Proctor's out for the year, but that's really the only injury Ohio State's dealing with right now of any, you know, significant starters. Um, seeming uh, pretty much everyone that was healthy played against uh, Indiana last week in a blowout. So I think everything is coming together at the right time. And, you know, it couldn't be better time for this this big matchup against Penn State, which, you know, as I said earlier, it kind of stinks that Penn State lost last week. I was rooting for them to win against Illinois just because I wanted this matchup to remain a top 10 one. But that game, you know, as I'm sure you guys discussed against Illinois was um, one of the worst football games I've ever watched in my life. And I don't see I'm the opposite. I, I told Meredith that. It wasn't one of the best football games that I ever watched, but it was one of the most entertaining, especially in the second half. Um, you want to talk about an exercise in futility. Neither of those teams could really move the ball. I mean, Illinois ran the ball 
really well, which surprised me. They ran for like 350, but they they couldn't pass the ball at all. They couldn't throw the ball. Sikowski got hurt. Um, but even when they brought in uh, Peters, I, I don't know that he completed a pass. He was in there for the, the duration of the overtimes, but Sikowski was like eight for 20 for 32 yards before he got hurt. They were running the ball well, but couldn't put it in the end zone. And I, I feel like Penn State just wasn't, willing to win the game like I I feel like it was all there I feel like they went away from Jahan Dotson or didn't really look for him enough in the second half slash overtime and so you know they've got a lot of things that they need to correct before they come to Columbus on Saturday yeah Archer Sitkowski completed eight of 19 of his passes for 38 total Mm -hmm. yards and this man played four quarters and two overtimes didn't throw a touchdown pass, threw one interception, and his team won the game. That can't yeah. happen. That just simply can't happen. I have never seen a quarterback throw for 38 yards in a football game and his team win. And then the backup, Casey Washington, 0 for 2, and then Brandon Peters didn't throw a pass when he came in. So I just it's I don't know how that happens. I don't know how Penn State loses this game. I don't know what's wrong with their offense. It's clear that Sean Clifford wasn't entirely healthy coming into that game. He was clearly limited. Uh, he didn't look to run at all. Uh, and it just, you know, that that seemed to severely hamper Penn State's offense, especially when their rushing offense is a t- as a team hasn't been that great this year. You know, losing the legs of Sean Clifford, I think, have a, has a similar aspect to what we saw when, you know, when Ohio State struggled to run a bit under Haskins, where, you know, you have a team that's used to having this, this option run game where the quarterback is a threat to run. And once you take that away, teams could key in on the running backs and it makes it a lot easier to stop. And I think that's what we saw against Penn, uh, against Illinois for Penn State, where you know the teams are used to having to worry about Sean Clifford's legs and having to not worry about that coming into this game. Illinois was able to key in on the running backs; they were able to force Sean Clifford to throw the ball, and it just it just didn't work out for them. They scored 18 points in in nine overtimes, and I know seven of those overtimes were technically not really overtimes; it was just two point conversions. But the fact that this game was that this game hit the under. Having gone to nine overtimes is pretty hilarious, and you know, yeah, like you said, it wasn't good football, but I guess it was. It was entertaining in the fact that I was just like laughing the entire time. Like, how can these teams just not? Like, nobody has gotten into the end zone for six consecutive overtimes. What is going on? And it was. It was certainly entertaining. I, I know Twitter was having a ball with it as well, but it's certainly I just not thought what you about. Want. I, I thought about Ohio State in that situation. And I was like, in, in any scenario, could you imagine Ohio State not being able to get three yards and score a two-point conversion in nine opportunities? No. They would have run a screen pass to Trayvon Henderson going the, like in, they would have run one to the left, then one to the right, then one to the left, then one to the right, and it would have worked every single time. Well, and the target, they could have targeted, um, you know, they could target Olave Wilson on any number of routes, and that's what really threw me off watching Penn State. Maybe they tried to get him the ball. Maybe they called his number, but I do not distinctly remember um, Jahan Dotson getting an opportunity to come down with a two-point conversion during that whole fiasco. Do you? No, and I mean, even in the game overall, like I wasn't fully invested in this game. I was flipping through a couple other games at at that time slot, but I don't remember, you know, Jahan Dotson finished with six catches for 69 yards to lead the team, but 
It just felt like he wasn't a bigger, big enough part of the offense as they would like. You know, that's that's a dude that's probably one of the best. He's the best non OSU wide receiver in the Big Ten, I would say. And that's like you got it when you when the rest of your team is struggling, you have to get your best players the ball, and they just they simply didn't do that. And yeah, especially in the overtimes, I feel like they didn't target him at all. And like that's that's just crazy. Like especially after you haven't gotten it like two or three times in a row, it's like hey, maybe we should just throw it up to our best player and let him make a play. Like. At a certain point, that has to come to your mind, and it's what you have to do, and they just seem to refuse to do it, and it wound up losing them the game. And, you know, I think Penn State's defense overall played well, but, you know, having been out there that whole time and with the offense doing nothing, it, it becomes a chore to, to keep it going for that long, and that's kind of what happened, and it got worn down, and Illinois wound up punching it in, and Penn State couldn't. So yeah, that, that was a bad that... result for Ohio State, I think, just in the grand scheme. But, uh, you know, it was funny to watch the Illinois beat Penn State, but at the same time, it's, it's not great for Ohio State's uh, future endeavors. Yeah, I think that when you t- when you look at non-Ohio State wide receivers, I think it's Jahan Dotson and David Bell from Purdue up there at the top. And, I, you know, David Bell has the numbers, but I probably would give the edge to Jahan Dotson. I just think he's a really good route runner. Um, he's great deep. He can make contested catches on deep balls with regularity. He's a really, really good athlete. And I, I just think about how good he would look with a better quarterback throwing him the ball, you know, Sean Clifford doesn't force feed him. Like I would sort of expect them to do. Now he has other good options. Penn state has two or three solid receivers, including Jahan Dotson, but he's just so good that you would think in that scenario, they would force feed him or try to target him time and time again with the game on the line, but it just didn't happen. And so I have to wonder, and I, and I would ask you this, how healthy do you think Sean Clifford is? You know, one through 100, what would you put his kind of health percentage at um, for that Illinois game? And then if you can play, you know, ultimate predictor, how healthy do you think he's going to be come Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, on the Penn State beat. I'm not following Sean Clifford closely, but, you know, based on what I saw on that in the Illinois game, I can't imagine he's more than like 50-50 at this point. You know, he is a guy that that is willing to run and he didn't seem at all willing to run in that game. And, you know, a lot of his throws were just off and it's just, it, he wasn't, it, he didn't look comfortable out there. And I know, you know, we saw him get injured in the game before against Iowa and we saw what their backup options look like. And I think there's a reason why they're kind of playing an injured Sean Clifford out there. I don't think there's many other options they have that could get the job done, but. Well, they do. So they could put Jahan Dotson back there. He's two for two passing this year, 43 yards. What do you think? I'm interested. You know, Penn State moves to a triple option offense with Jahan Dotson at quarterback. I'm in for it. If they pull that out against Ohio State, they're going to have a chance because I'm sure Ohio State won't see that one coming. But uh, overall, don't don't put that out into the air. We can never game plan for that. I'm having flashbacks of when Nebraska went to the wishbone for one drive and it almost worked. But nonetheless, yeah, it's it's the Sean Clifford situation is odd, and and you know we've talked in the past how we're not neither of us are big on Sean Clifford even when he's healthy. He's not the best quarterback we've ever seen in the world, and especially injured, it's not what you want to see for that Penn State offense. So if he's not a hundred percent coming into those the Ohio State game, I know Ohio State's defense isn't world beaters out there, but it could be a long day for them, especially if you know they can't get anything going on the ground and they're really forced to to air it out with Sean Clifford. I know. Jahan Dotson's good, and he'll likely test Denzel Burke, you know, especially since he's a freshman. But it's going to be tough sledding out there if they're not, you know, the way Ohio State's offense is scoring right now. If Penn State isn't dropping, you know, 35 points in that game, they're not going to win. And I don't know if they're capable of doing that with a not healthy Sean Clifford. I think that they have better options 
that their options are better than like reality. I guess I'm trying to say like Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert Smith are their second and third wide receivers and they're decent wide receivers. They're both sitting around 350 yards receiving for the year. And Brenton Strange is a physical tight end. He's sort of a big body. And we saw what Peyton Hendershot did on that first drive against Ohio State. They've got the options. They just don't have a guy on this roster until maybe next year when Drew Aller um, enrolls. I don't think they have the guy who can spread it out adequately to these guys. So I think Ohio State could be challenged, but Sean Clifford would really, really have to be on his A game to really put a scare into Denzel Burke and Seven Banks and Cam Brown back there because they've got three or four options. They just, you know, they can't, the synchronicity is not there. They don't have a game or I have not seen them have a game where all three of those guys are hitting on all cylinders at the same time. And I think that's a reflection of the quarterback play. Yeah. And, you know, looking at Penn State as a whole this year, they're five and two on the season. They've lost their last two games. They lost a 23-20 affair to Iowa and a 2018 affair to Illinois. So they've scored, you know, under, under 20 points. Or they scored 20 points or less in their last two games. It's not what you want. Overall, their total offense ranks 86th in the country. Uh, their rushing offense is 100th. Their passing offense is 47th. Uh, so neither of those numbers are what you want to see. Sean Clifford's stats on paper on the year aren't terrible. You know, he's thrown for over 1,600 yards. He's got 12 touchdowns, five picks. So as far as Big Ten quarterbacks go, those aren't bad numbers. Uh, last time out against Illinois, he was 19 of 34, 165 yards and a touchdown. You know, like we kind of touched on, he was clearly limited. He didn't run at all. Uh, he had negative rushing yards, but most of that was on like sack stuff. Uh, star of the offense, as always, has been Jahan Dotson. You know, on the year, he's got 49 catches for 563 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, like I, you know, like Josh brought up, him and David Bell are probably the two best Ohio, uh, wide receivers Ohio State will play in conference play this year. Um, and as Josh also brought up, Parker Washington is pretty solid opposite of Dotson. He's got 32 catches for 374 yards and two touchdowns on the year. Um, the Penn State rushing attack was expected to be a little better, especially with Noah Kane returning. But I, I would say it's been subpar at best. Noah Kane's got, you know, he's been their starter for the most part. He's got 245 yards and four touchdowns on the year, only averaging 3.1 yards per carry. Uh, Kayvon Lee, right behind him, has got 228 yards and on a 5.1 yards per carry, but hasn't scored. Um, and some of that has been on their offensive line, which hasn't been spectacular this year. Uh, they returned three starters, uh, but if you look at some of the like advanced numbers on their offensive line, it's been it's been pretty bad. According to Football Outsiders, they're 116th in the country in average line yards, which is basically you know how many how many extra yards your offensive line affords you in any given game. So to be 116th out of 130 is certainly not what you're looking for. Uh, they're 128th in power success rate, so the power run game is not there at all. Um, they're 54th in sack rate. They've allowed 13 sacks this season in total, which isn't that bad, but. So, you know, their pass block has been better than the run game. But either way, the offensive line isn't quite getting the job done. And when you have a, an injured quarterback, a struggling running game, and, you know, a, a, you have one star wide receiver that you're not particularly looking to feed the ball to, all that comes together to, to be a not great offense. And, you know, I think they have the pieces to, to put together a really good offense. They just have to kind of change the way they're doing things. And I don't know. I, I think they're kind of too deep in the season to fully overhaul what they're doing. And maybe they're maybe they're saving some stuff for Ohio State. Maybe they're going to pull some stuff out against the Buckeyes and Columbus. But right now, I, you know, I still don't really trust the Ohio State defense with what we've seen thus far. Um, I think they're still vulnerable in some key areas, but I just don't think that 
what Penn State's bringing to the table is enough to they they might put up they're probably going to put up more points than Indiana did I would imagine but I just don't think it's enough to really stress this team out to the point where they're not going to you know they have to at this point it comes down to any offense that comes and plays Ohio State is going to have to keep up with Ohio State's offense and I just this team is certainly not the one to do that so unless it's a really bad day for CJ Stroud and company I don't see how Penn State's offense could keep this one close. Yeah, I'm really surprised by their lack of success in the running game. We we thought that Noah Kane, especially after his true freshman season, he ran for like 500 yards and eight touchdowns as a backup. He was supposed to be the next Saquon Barkley or the next Miles Sanders. And, you know, maybe it's coming back from injury, but three yards per carry in college football, that's a rough scene, man. Three yards per carry is not good. He's only got 10 receptions on the yard on the season. So it's not like he's super multi-dimensional to where he's catching four to five passes a game. So he has significantly underwhelmed. I actually think Kayvon Lee is the more explosive back, at least this year. But to your point, he hasn't been able to find the end zone. So they're trying to get it done with two or three guys. And if you know, if you kind of extrapolate that out, they're putting up okay numbers on the running game on the uh through the running game but that's more due to volume um if you put if you put everything together they're right around four yards per carry and again in college football that's just that's not where you want to be that's indiana territory that's purdue territory when it comes to running the ball so maybe it is a reflection on their offensive line not being what it has been in years past but especially if sean clifford is not providing a threat um, in the running game because he's banged up or whatever, I think it really puts Penn State behind the eight ball because then, yes, they're going to be uh, forced to try and keep up through the air. And if you can contain Jahan Dotson and try and have those other guys beat you, maybe they find some success. But, you know, to your point, can, can Penn State put up 30 35 points and everything right now points towards no. Yeah. And especially with the way that Ohio state's defensive line has been playing these last few weeks. And I know, you know, as, as is the caveat with all of these stats, you know, they haven't played world beaters the last couple of weeks, but Penn state's another team with a not great offensive line. And while their pass blocking has been okay, you know, guys like Zach Harrison, Zach Harrison's really been coming on the last couple of weeks. You know, we know what JT Tumaloa and Jack Sawyer are capable of if they play a little bit more. Tyleek Williams and Haskell Garrett have obviously been playing tremendously up the middle. It could be a tough day for those guys going against an Ohio State defensive line that that's kind of moving right now. And they're getting, it seems like they're getting better, better each week, just like the offense is. They're, they're getting more confident. I really like what I've seen from Zach Harrison. I know he's, you know, a guy that we've expected more from for a while now, but it seems like these last few games, he's, he's really starting to, to make an impact out there. And obviously and the young you, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, and if you watched any of that Iowa game, Iowa, now I'm not comparing the two defenses. I think Iowa is still probably a better defense than Ohio state, but the way Ohio state's playing has been much better, but Iowa was able to put a lot of pressure on Sean Clifford. And I think about the one interception he had near the end zone where he was like falling down and just kind of shot, put it forward. Sean Clifford is not good under pressure. So I don't care if you've got Jahan Dotson or Randy Moss out there. If you're pressuring Sean Clifford, I do not know if he's going to be able to rise to the occasion. 
Yeah, and I think with how poorly Penn State's run the ball and the fact that they really only have one star wideout, I think Ohio State could probably afford to send some extra blitzes in this game since you're not worried about too much else outside of that. As long as you're covering Dotson and Washington, you're probably good on the back end. So I'm sure we'll see them dial up a couple blitzes because, like you said there, Sean Clifford has not been stellar under pressure by any means. And so I think that'll be... That'll be kind of one of the interesting things to watch in this game is if Ohio State's dialing up some of those blitzes or if they don't even need to. If they're just getting pressure with the front four, maybe sending a linebacker here and there, maybe sending a corner blitz here and there, I think that could get the job done. I don't think they need to, you know, I don't think they need to shut them out and, and you know, hold them to one score like they did against Indiana. But, you know, I, I, what's weird about Ohio State's defense is they just seemingly hate the first drive of the game and they just like, you know, <laughs> they, they see if the other team is going to show up and try. And once they realize they do, they're like, all right, well, now we'll play defense and then they get it together. But so we'll see if Penn State scores on their first drive of the game. And if they do, we know at this point it's not too much of a reason to worry because, like we saw against Indiana, they scored on their first drive and then never again. So isn't the end of the world if they go on the field and score on that first drive. But it does seem like it takes some feeling out for this Ohio State defense to see what the other team is going to come out with. And so it, that's another, you know, maybe they'll get off to a better start in this one. Maybe they won't allow that that first drive tutty. But uh, overall, I think it's, a... yeah, I think overall Ohio State's defense has been playing well. And I, I don't know how much to take of it because of what we've seen on the offensive end, especially with an Indiana team that all of their quarterbacks were seemingly hurt. But I, I like what I've seen. And I think that the coaching staff has kind of learned their rotations better. And I like that the, the I like the the personnel we've had out there in certain situations for sure. Yeah, the first drive thing, I would say the one thing that's concerning about that is not the fact that they've given up points early. It's, you know, you come into a game with a game plan and the other team seemingly is able to beat it on the first or second try. Uh, Indiana came out and they force-fed Peyton Hendershot. And for as, as improved as Cody Simon has been and as good as he's looked, he was kind of lost out there. He lost Peyton Hendershot specifically on that touchdown. So... Um, you know, Brenton Strange, again, I mentioned him as kind of a big body, decent tight end. I don't know that he's going to be featured like a Peyton Hendershot would. He's only got, uh, I think, 10 catches on the season, but he does have two touchdowns. It, Penn State's going to have to get really creative is what I think it comes down to. They're going to have to take the totality of the season, look at where Ohio State's been beat and try to, um, you know, replicate that and because of what we've seen the last couple of weeks from them, I don't know that they have the creativity. And I think that that speaks a little bit to um, Yursich. Is it Yursich or Yurkic? Yursich. Yursich, um, their new offensive coordinator. I, they looked decent, I guess. Uh, first is it the of, Mike Yursich revenge game is what the people are asking? It, it could be, but uh, it could be the get Mike Yersich out of town game if they can't put up any points like they have the last couple of weeks, especially against an Illinois team. I mean, that's quite the indictment that you can't get three yards and two points against Illinois in nine overtimes. I think, you know, case closed on that one. But beyond that, I, I don't know how aggressive James Franklin will let him be because I think that in some of these games – James Franklin just sort of loses his mind. You know, I think about two or three years ago um, when Penn State was still in the game and they had some really odd third slash fourth down calls um, that ultimately spelled doom for them. And I think about the Illinois game and, and maybe this was a Yersich call, but um, the last score that they had, the field goal that they kicked to tie it uh, after they had taken a five yard penalty, but they had, I think, a third and four. And just they ran a dive play up the middle 
uh, didn't look for Jahan Dotson, didn't think about any kind of read option or RPO play. It was dive, see if we can get it. Okay, we didn't. Now it's field goal time. And when you're trying to win a game uh, in the Big Ten, but especially one that you should really stomp an opponent to kind of to kind of tighten up like that and go with some of the play calls that I've seen them uh, go with. Again, maybe that's a Yursich thing, but James Franklin has his um, fingerprints on this game plan. And if he doesn't like what he sees, he's got to be willing to step up, obviously, and kind of trump that card. And I haven't seen him do that either. I mean, that's how you end up with 20 points against Iowa. Yes, they're a good defense and you lost your quarterback, but um, you got to have something a plan in place if you lose a Sean Clifford and they brought in Saquon Robertson and it was like, what the hell are we doing out here? We're lost. We've got no clue what we want to do. Um, that kid looked completely unprepared. So it ultimately needs to fall on the head coach too, especially, especially a guy in James Franklin who, um, you know, before we get to Ohio state's offense, let's hit on him for a minute. This guy has been brought up as the candidate in waiting. USC wants him potentially LSU wants him potentially. I don't know what James Franklin has done to earn that sort of street cred. He seems like a great motivator. Uh, loves to hear himself talk, but yeah. Okay. So he won a couple games at Vandy, but he came to Penn state and he had a little bit of success, but they were a dumpster fire last year. Maybe you can blame COVID. Now this year they get into the top 10. They, lose the opposite of a shootout against Iowa. They couldn't put any points together in the second half. And then they come off of a bye week, Gene. They come off of a bye week. And even if his quarterback is not healthy, you have to find a way to score on Illinois and win that damn football game. So I don't know what makes him this great candidate for all these other jobs when he hasn't even gotten it done, in my opinion, in the Big Ten because he's taken a a back seat to Wisconsin at times um, earlier on, you know, they were competing with Michigan potentially as like the second or third best team in the big 10, but he hasn't been able to get over that last hurdle. So what makes you think that he's ultimately going to go out to the West coast and run away with the PAC 12 or the, he's going to go to LSU of all places. You're telling me he's going to go and win the sec at LSU. Come on, give me a break. Yeah, and I, I do wonder how much that kind of stuff has played into Penn State's season here these last couple weeks. Is is James Franklin focused on this current team or is he thinking about his new job at USC or LSU? You know, I don't I don't know for sure if that's, you know, something that's that's been brought up, but I think it's a legitimate possibility that the reason Penn State's been so flat these last couple weeks is that their head coach is thinking about pursuing other opportunities and isn't entirely focused on his current team. And, you know, for all that James Franklin has done at Penn State, I, I think he's gotten a good reputation as a recruiter. But at the same time, you know, you can't, you know, they obviously have Drew Aller coming in next year, but they've had Sean Clifford for a while now and they have no backup plan if he was hurt and had to miss a game, clearly. So that's a recruiting Well, look what miss. he did with, um, gosh, who's the kid? Christian Hackenberg, right? He was there for Christian Hackenberg. Christian Hackenberg looked great as a freshman under Bill O'Brien. And then, just regressed, in my opinion, under James Franklin. Sean Clifford is just the worst version of Trace McSorley, who I, I think Trace <laughs> McSorley was pretty good. Like, he was fun to watch. Um, and Sean Clifford is kind of just like a less exciting version of him. So, yeah, the quarterback recruiting certainly has been there. And obviously, Drew Aller is somebody that could potentially change that. But, you know, for all the for all the reputation he's got as a good recruiter, he has still missed out 
on, you know, some key guys in Pennsylvania, especially, you know, we see, you know, Kyle McCord and, and Marvin Harrison Jr. come to mind in this last class. And obviously those mm-hmm. are those are Philly guys and Penn State's much closer to Pittsburgh. And I know it's a it's a big state and that's very the cultural differences between even those two cities are vast, but Getting having those guys losing those two guys to your conference rival is not something you want in recruiting, especially when they're as highly regarded as they are. And so you know that that kind of stuff can't happen. His recruiting has I feel like it's kind of taken a step back in these last couple of years. And you know Penn State's doing pretty well right now. Obviously the Drew Aller stuff is big for them. He's a guy that Ohio State wants and is probably going to wind up still committing to Penn State. So that's a big win for him. But at the end of the day, you know I don't know how much those other opportunities are playing into his current mindset and I don't know you know uh, this is the biggest game on Penn State's schedule clearly and maybe the loss to Illinois was more of a look ahead to Ohio State than anything else but I do worry that you know James Franklin's mind isn't entirely in it when there are you know bigger opportunities out there for him that he seems to be the head candidate for yeah and I think that that could either spell doom for Penn State in their season or it could be a rallying point but you would think that a pushover like Illinois, you would take care of business if you've got these bigger aspirations and these bigger goals. So it could all be a distraction, but if it becomes too big of a distraction, you know, this team's still going to play Ohio state, Michigan state and Michigan. This could end up being a five loss season for them if they can't figure something out. Oh, absolutely. This, this season could spiral out of control for them if they don't, you know, get it together quick, if they don't get Sean Clifford healthy, if they don't start, you know, actually featuring Jahan Dotson on offense, if they don't figure out some of their defensive woes, especially without PJ Mustafer and, you know, the way that they stopped their run last week, that could all, you know, spiral out of control very quickly. And, you know, I don't know if, if you know, I, I don't know what happens there, but like you said, they still play a lot of these highly ranked Big Ten teams and it's going to be interesting. Penn State needs to win at least a couple of these games to, to keep their season intact. And I don't I don't quite think they're going to do it against Ohio State, but we can continue to to break down that game a little bit, moving on to the, the other side of the ball. P.J. Mustafer uh, on Penn State's defense was probably their best defensive lineman, uh, veteran defensive tackle. He is now out for the year. Um, they really missed him last week. They allowed 357 rushing yards to Illinois, and I have I have bad news about um, Ohio State's rushing attack if they're allowing that much to Illinois. Um, the defensive line uh, hasn't been good outside of him. Uh, Arnold Ebiketti. Uh, Arnold. Better you than me. Better yeah, you than me. Yeah, I hate this stuff. Arnold Ebiketti. I'm going to go with that. Uh, he's a Temple transfer. He's probably their best defensive lineman. That isn't P.J. Mustafer. Leads the team with 11 tackles for loss and five and a half sacks. Uh, but as a whole, Penn State is tied for 70th in the FBS with 15 total sacks on the year. So they haven't been exactly getting after the quarterback all that much. Uh, but the back seven is where this team really thrives on defense. This is a good defense overall. Uh, they rank 26th in the country in total defense, 62nd in rushing, and 15th in passing. So the secondary is certainly their bread and butter. They are also 6th in the country in scoring defense, allowing just 14.7 points per game. But I think, you know, some of these defensive numbers in the Big Ten are a little inflated with the way that Big Ten offenses look because, you know, even Ohio State, whose defense is certainly not world beaters out there, is 18th in the country in scoring defense. So I think these Big Ten offenses not being able to move the ball has kind of inflated the numbers on all these Big Ten defenses. But regardless, Penn State's defense has played well in the games that they've played, and that's all you could do. Uh, but the back seven's pretty good. Uh, there are two stars back there in the in the defensive backfield are Tariq Castro-Fields and Jaquan Brisker. Uh, Brisker is one of the Big Ten's best safeties. He's got four tackles for loss, a pair of interceptions, and four pass breakups on the year. He's kind of a, a sideline, sideline guy, do it all. He's been nicked up here and there this year, but he was one of the guys that I picked preseason to win, you know, an all Big Ten safety. And I, I think he's a really good player. 
Tariq Castrofields is their top cover corner. He's got a team high five pass breakups, and then they also have uh, opposite him Joey Porter, who's pretty solid in the secondary as well. So th- there's a big reason why their pass defense has been so good has been those three guys. Um, and then the linebacker core has actually been really good after being uh, pretty meh in 2020. They returned all three starters. Uh, L.S. Brooks is the team leader with 55 total tackles. Brandon Smith is another guy. He's second on the team with 44 total tackles, and he also has six tackles for loss and a pair of sacks. And then their third guy out there, Jesse Lucchetta, has the uh, has the only defensive touchdown on the season for Penn State. So the linebacker core is very solid. So it's kind of surprising that they've been so bad against the run, but I think a lot of that has just been a really, really poor defensive line. And then their secondary has done really well against the pass. So I guess if you're going against an Ohio State defense, it's better to be good uh, against the pass and is the run, although I would I would imagine you'd want to be better at both with how well Trayvon Henderson is playing right now. So maybe we see Ohio State come out and run the ball a little bit more in this game, just to kind of attack the weaknesses of this Penn State defense. And when you have a player the caliber of Trayvon Henderson, I don't think it could hurt to give him the ball more than 10 times in a game. I think that's legal. It's allowed in the rule book to, to rush your star running back more than 10 times, and we may finally see it in this game. But uh, overall, uh, I, like I've like I've said numerous times, I just don't, you know, even with how good this defense is, I don't think there's a team in the country that could hold Ohio State under 40 right now. And I don't think, you know, I do think Tree Castro Fields and Jaquan Brisker and guys of that nature are really good. But I think you would need an entire team built of those guys to stop this Ohio State offense right now. Yeah, that's the rub, right? How do you stop a team that consistently puts up 50 points and 500 yards? I really do, despite what we saw against Illinois, especially on the on the ground, I really like Penn State's defense. I think they have a ton of talent. I think that Ellis Brooks and Brandon Smith are arguably the best, um, and Jesse Lucetta, they're arguably like the best linebacker core in the conference, I mean, they're definitely right up there with Iowa. Their their linebackers are definitely better than Ohio State's, but it's the front four, right? They've struggled, and now they're down Mustafer, who was a big run stuffer for them, uh, literally and figuratively. He was a mountain of a man, is a mountain of a man. Um, so I think that this is going to be a running game, or at least we're going to see more running than we have in some previous games from Ohio State. I think that Travion Henderson can still eat despite the talent that they have at linebacker. And I, by no means do I think Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba are going to be shut out. But I think it could be more of an underneath passing game. You know, Ohio State's hit on a lot of big plays and they have been able to, Ryan Day has been able to get guys wide open in space. And I don't know if we're going to see as much of that against Penn State. You mentioned some of the guys, Brisker, uh, Castro Fields, Joey Porter Jr., Jair Brown. That's a really, really good secondary. Those guys are talented. Three or four of them could play on Sundays. Um, I really like Brisker. You know, he can hit too. He's a good ball player. So I think that they are pro- they probably have the best secondary that Ohio State is going to face this year. And Michigan's secondary isn't too bad either, especially with Daxton Hill, uh, their, their star safety. But I, I would still put my money on Penn State as having the best secondary that Ohio State's going to see this year. So it's going to be a new challenge. I don't think that they are going to be able to take advantage of the deep ball specifically as often as we've seen them do against other teams. But I think that those guys can still... Uh, make a killing underneath. This may be another Jeremy Ruckert game because of the talent in that secondary. Maybe Ruckert catches a couple more balls, but I think they run the ball more than they pass it, or at least it's close to 50-50 if I had to guess. 
And this could also be a game where we see Travion Henderson with four to five catches, just getting him open in space some more um, against those linebackers so he's not running straight at them. Maybe put him in a one-on-one matchup with those guys in space. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a different ball game. But obviously, I think Ryan Day has the capability to design something effective and figure out a way to put up points on this Penn State defense. Yeah, my biggest worry for the Penn State defense here, even more so than their their rushing numbers, is is the the sacks and the pressures that they're getting from their defensive line. We've seen, you know, how well CJ Stroud could operate in the pocket. We've seen him be able to extend plays and just with the with the Ohio State wide receivers how good they are at getting open. If you're going to give CJ Stroud, you know, 4, 5, 6 seconds in the pocket, someone's going to be open and he's going to find them. So, Penn State's going to have to find a way to get creative and create some pressure on Stroud in this game or he's just going to sit back there and pick them apart. And I know I they've know also these got- yeah, they've also got nine interceptions, too. So CJ needs to be on top of his game. If he's loose with the ball, if he's not putting it in tight windows, those guys can make him pay, too, because nine or ten um, interceptions. I think they've returned one for. Yeah, you mentioned it. They've returned one for a touchdown, but uh, that's nothing to shake a stick at. They're averaging more than one per game. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, quarterback play obviously is not great across the Big Ten outside of Ohio State, but nonetheless, that's still impressive. And like you said, this is a very good secondary. I just think with how good Ohio State's wide receivers are at just getting themselves open, it feels like no matter what coverage teams are in, these guys are just five yards open on every play. And I don't know if we'll quite see that against Penn State, but if you give them enough time, someone like Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson or Jackson with Njigba is going to be open at some point. And, you know, those players are going to open up. And it may not be on every single play like we've seen these past couple weeks where it seems like Ohio State could just take what they want at will but if you you know if you give them enough time back there it's going to happen enough that Ohio State is going to put up points and when you combine that with the running game with Travion Henderson Mayan Williams and whoever else is out there on any given day uh, it's it's going to be really tough to stop and then once you also adding in that added, added bonus like you said of having Travion Henderson as a receiving threat and putting him in a one-on-one situation with one of these linebackers is a tough ask for any linebacker in the country no matter how good they are so I do think this is a really really good Penn State defense and you know it will be interesting to watch how well Ohio State's offense plays against a team that actually has a little bit of a pulse on that side of the ball. But at the end of the day, I just think it's it's the if if Penn State can't get pressure in this game, it's it's still going to be really tough for their corners to stick with these receivers for as long as they have to. Yeah, it's kind of like I look at it like how many bites at the apple is Ohio State going to get if they have ten possessions in a game? Do you think that any team can force five punts? And I don't think so. So that right there now, you know, this is a touchdown out of all five of those opportunities. But if Ohio State gets the ball 10 times and they score five, 35 points, can you score more than 35 points? And really, we've seen Ohio State get up into that 50 range. So look at it like that. Can you score 40 points? And the way Ohio State's defense is playing, it's possible but they've gotten a lot better. They've improved and tightened some things up. So it kind of comes down to that. Can you win a shootout? And I don't know that a lot of teams can against Ohio State right now. I would not recommend any team in the country getting in a shootout with Ohio State. And if that is your game plan coming in, it's it's not going to be a good day for you. You're going to have to you're going to have to find a way to make stops. You're going to have to cuz I you know, we talk about this Penn State offense. They are not built for a shootout. They are they are way more built than a 20 to 18 game against Illinois than they are for a, you know, a 45-42 matchup against Ohio State. I just don't see them being able to put up that kind of firepower. And so, you know, while we're talking about this, I guess we should, you know, unless you have anything extra to add, I think we could kind of get to our predictions here. Uh, interestingly enough, Ohio State opened 
on the DraftKings Sportsbook in this game at minus 16 and a half. That line has since jumped to minus 18 and a half. And I, you know, we could see it continue to grow as the week goes on. I think people are really buying into this Ohio State team now and what they look like. I think a lot of people understand that this is a very different team than the one that lost to Oregon. And especially after seeing what Penn State did against Illinois last week, this is a is a line that could continue to grow. And, you know, personally, Josh, I do think they're going to cover here. I'll wait to see what your prediction is to give my number here. But what are you what are you looking at score wise? You know, I like to set myself up so that I'm not disappointed and I'm not, uh, you know, too worried over a game. So I'll stay conservative on this. I think that Ohio State fails to cover. And if that happens, or if, you know, if I'm wrong, then I'm that much happier. But I think this is, gosh, give me 38-24. I think Ohio State wins. I don't know that it's a one-score game in the second half at any point. But look, Penn State's got some pride. They've got some really talented players on defense. They were, at the end of the day, a top 10 team um, a month, month and a half into the season. So, I don't know. I think they keep it sort of close, and I think it's 38-24 when it's all said and done. Yeah, I'd be a little bit more confident in this being a close game if I thought Sean Clifford was fully healthy. And, you know, I I know that I haven't been high on Sean Clifford, but I do think him being healthy has a big impact on this game, especially with his ability to run. So having that being said, you know, I don't don't think he's going to be fully healthy coming into this game. Maybe he has this week to rest up and he is good to go against Ohio State. He'll obviously, he's obviously going to play and he'll start, but I just don't know how effective he could be without his legs. Um, And so I think that, you know, Ohio State continues to roll here. I'm looking at something like a 45-14 kind of game. I just don't think that Penn State has the firepower to score. And, you know, for as, you know, I think Ohio State's defense is getting better. I still don't think it's great, but I just, I think Penn State's going to get in its own way enough that it'll give this Ohio State team chances to kind of like tee off on defense. And I think they'll get pressure on Clifford, which is going to force him into some mistakes. Maybe they'll have a pick or two. And I think Ohio State's offense, for even as good as this Penn State defense is, is just going to continue to roll. I think Ryan Day has these boys focused. I think this team realizes what's ahead of them, what they could do if they just continue to beat teams by a ton and have the college football playoff on the horizon. So I just think this is a big win for Ohio State. This is another, you know, another win that puts them squarely on the map as potentially the number two or number three team in the country, no matter what the, the AP ranking says. And I think they were coming into this game wanting to win big. They got the all red uniforms coming out under the lights. This is going to be a big one for recruiting as well. So all of that going into this, I think the coaching staff is really going to be on these guys to get going early and often against Penn State. And I'm, I'm, I think Ohio State's going to win another one pretty easily. And I think that's fair to point out, too, that Ohio State no longer has much, if any, margin for error. So as opposed to coming into this game undefeated and maybe kind of looking ahead at the totality of your season, I think that Ryan Day will have his guys dialed in. It's of the utmost importance that they continue to win and win impressively. So, yeah, you know, if I go in and I expect a 14-point game and they win by much more, I'm happy either way. So I like your prediction. I'm not going to be swayed. I'll still stick with mine. But at the end of the day, I expect an Ohio State victory. And right now, that's all that matters. Survive in advance. Exactly. And funny enough, you know, this is like the first week I've gone into being like entirely confident with Ohio State. And it's, you know, having it be their biggest opponent of the year so far besides Oregon is a weird time to have that. But I just, you know, from what I've seen so far, I just don't see this offense slowing down. And surely this this won't come back to bite me when they definitely won't lose to Penn State. But Nonetheless, um, should be a fun game. Should be an actually, you know, maybe it'll be more a game that you actually watch for more than two quarters before the backups are in. I'm hoping that's at least the case. You know, I don't want to see Ohio State struggle, but 
I'd like to watch a game that isn't over after the first quarter, maybe one of these weeks. So that'd be interesting to watch. Another good test for Ohio State as they get into the meat of their schedule. They still will have to play Michigan State and Michigan, who I think are both probably better teams than Penn State at this point in the year. But speaking of those two teams, we'll learn a little bit about uh, Ohio State's further opponents moving forward because this weekend the other big matchup in the Big Ten is Michigan versus Michigan State. The Wolverines will go on the road to East Lansing to take on Mel Tucker and the Spartans. Michigan is four-and-a-half-point favorites in this game, according to DraftKings, uh, which I find kind of odd, Josh, because Michigan State has kind of dominated this rivalry in recent years, and I know... You know, people are starting to think that Michigan is back and Michigan's really good. But, uh, you know, looking at this game, I wrote up a thing uh, on Monday talking about some of the big, you know, week nine opening lines. And, you know, Michigan State, I, I think their passing offense is much better than Michigan's. I think, you know, uh, Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor from Michigan State are better than any receivers Michigan has without uh, Ronnie Bell, who is obviously out for the year. And while Michigan, you know, runs the ball well, Michigan State has Kenneth Walker, who's better than anything Michigan has. So I just think, you know, offense versus offense, Michigan State is better. And then I think these two defenses are comparable. So I could very easily see Michigan State winning this game at home. It's kind of odd to me that Michigan's favored by four and a half. But I guess, you know, program prestige comes into effect a little bit there but i don't know josh what do you think about this this michigan versus michigan state matchup uh first and foremost i would not be surprised by any outcome uh that being said and i don't know why i can't give you a great reason i i believe in michigan more than i believe in michigan state until proven otherwise um michigan state has been terrible really since Mark D'Antonio left. So Mel Tucker seems to have started the turnaround. Obviously um, they've got things rolling this season and Kenneth Walker, the third is a hell of a running back, but I think that Michigan is the better team this year. And until we see Michigan state take down a Michigan or a Penn state for, you know, all the disparaging things we had to say about them or an Ohio state, I'm not fully bought in yet. Whereas I think that Jim Harbaugh has figured out some things at Michigan. I think they've got a really talented defense and I think that they can depend on the running game to kind of shorten the game as a whole. So I just believe in Michigan more, but I'm not going to be upset nor will I be surprised if Mel Tucker pulls off the upset. Yeah, I think that's entirely fair. Uh, Other, other places on the uh, big 10 schedule, um, that game is at 12 o'clock, so that's a game that I'm sure Ohio State fans will want to tune in for, especially since Ohio State doesn't play until the nighttime. Uh, but if you hate yourself at 12 o'clock, you can watch number 9 Iowa play Wisconsin in a game between two teams that just hate the end zone. Um, the over-under of this game is 37, which is probably the lowest over-under I've seen in a college football game in quite some time. Um, I don't know what to think of this game. Uh, Wisconsin's favored by 3.5 points over a number 9 team in the country. They are the home team. Um, Graham Mertz stinks. Spencer Petras stinks even more. Uh, I hate both of these teams, and I wish them both none of the success. I will not be watching any of this game. I can assure you of that. Although, you know, Wisconsin took down Mighty Purdue, knocked them out of the rankings, I assume. So, um, I don't know. I Graham Mertz is not the guy we thought, you know, a lot of people thought that he was going to be, he was going to turn around Wisconsin or kind of take them to another level because they have not had the quarterback play there in recent years, but he has underwhelmed. And I think Iowa is probably pretty pissed off and looking to rebound and get back into the ranking or, you know, higher up in the rankings and, uh, you know, help Kirk Ferentz end up with one of his, 
10 and two, nine and three seasons that gets him a decade long extension. So I, I think they'll bounce back and I just don't think Wisconsin has it. Yeah, I could see this being like a 13 to 10 game. So I'd be comfortable taking Iowa plus three and a half there. I'll take my free points. Uh, elsewhere on the schedule, uh, not much else crazy going on. The only other ranked matchup of the day uh, besides the Ohio State game is number 10 Ole Miss versus number 18 Auburn. Uh, that could be a fun game between, you know, two quarterbacks between Bo Nix and Matt Corral. Uh, Matt Corral, who I think is actually good, and Bo Nix, who I don't think is actually good. Uh, you've got the world's largest outdoor cocktail party between Georgia and Florida at 330. Um, and other than that, not a ton of fun stuff. Unfortunately, the the other game that I think is, is kind of interesting and fun, maybe not to the casual observer of college football, but number 19, SMU, takes on Houston at 7 p.m. Obviously, that coincides with the Ohio State game, but... Uh, that's a game that has very big significance in the AAC. Uh, winner of that game will probably play Cincinnati in the American uh, Conference title game. Uh, both of those teams are very high scoring and a lot of fun to watch. Um, I think you know the over/under set is sixty-two and a half. I would be pretty comfortable taking the over there, uh, but I think that'll be a fun game between two teams that are battling it out for you know to be uh, you know a significant player in that conference. The American has a lot of fun teams. Uh, SMU and Houston have both been you know on a warpath towards each other seemingly this whole time, and I think that'll be a, a kind of a fun game in the group of five to watch. But other than that, nothing too crazy going on this weekend. Uh, but there uh, are at least there's at least uh, better games going on. Oh, Josh, you got something for me? I do, and I'm not going to predict this upset, but I think that Georgia, or I'm sorry, I think that Florida could give Georgia a game. Dan Mullen came out and said that um, he's going to continue to play Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones. I think that's his way of saying that he's going to start playing more Anthony Richardson, and I think he's the better quarterback. He's a dual threat guy, 6'4", 225-ish. Um, he came on against LSU and led to, led Florida to 28 points in the second half. So I know that Georgia's defense is arguably the best unit on any team in the country. But I don't know. I, I think Anthony Richardson, if he gets some playing time, he can, he can do some things back there. I think that they could potentially make that interesting, uh, especially because they're at home, correct? They're playing in the swamp? Yep, it's at Florida. It's a rivalry game, so those things could get interesting. I'm with you there. The uh, the over-under in this game is 51, which I think taking the under here is a better play than having Georgia minus 14. I think, you know, Georgia is obviously very good on defense. Their offense doesn't particularly scare me, but I do agree with what you're saying. I think this could be uh, a closer game than some expect. You know, the, these rivalry games kind of bring an extra aspect to it. Uh, so it should be a fun game to watch. That's at 3.30. So, you know, if you're planning your college football watching day, you could start with Michigan, Michigan State at 12, then move on to Georgia, Florida at 3.30, and that'll bring, you know, get, get some dinner afterwards, relax a little bit, and then tune in for Ohio State, Penn State at night. I think that'd be a fun little college football Saturday for most people. Yeah, I'd want to see the odds, actually, now that I think about it, because I've been on a bit of a roll picking an upset each week. Um, and, and I guess I'm just sort of rooting for Florida to upset Georgia because then it opens up more possibilities for Ohio State down the road. So I am definitely going to be watching that one with rooted interest. Yeah, we should be in for a much better weekend of college football. These last two weekends have kind of been a little lackluster in terms of the schedule, but there are some good games on tap this weekend, and there seems to be at least one good game on at every time slot, which is something we like to see. Um, anything else, Josh, before we get out of here? Uh, we're a little bit over an hour, which is about our usual spot for these previews. No, I'm good, Gene. Uh, good to have you back, obviously, previewing what should still be an important game. Ohio State needs to go out and take care of business. Um, looking forward to seeing the all red scarlet jerseys. I think that'll be neat. And uh, just looking forward, hopefully, to another Ohio State victory. 
Absolutely. And we will be back, you know, sometime this weekend to recap the Ohio State Penn State game. I promise I will be here this time for reals. Um, yeah, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff you do with the podcast. Be sure to follow us on landgrantholyland.com and check out all of our content. I'm sure we'll have lots of stuff for the pregame and a uh, little preview stuff for this Penn State game as we usually do for all the games, but especially with this one being a bigger game. And like Josh said, this is still, you know, whether Penn State's good or not, this is still important in the terms of the Big Ten East standings and for Ohio State's college football playoff picture at large. So for Josh Julie, I am Gene Ross, and we will see you guys this weekend. And as always, go Bucks.